Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us listening today and happy to have everybody here with us as well. Brian? Good morning, Brad. Philip? Hello, Brad. Bob? Good morning. And we have Tyler Melrose with us from Hubbard Feeds, which is a division of Alltech, and he's a nutritionist with them. He leads their nutrition group, and happy to have you with us, Tyler. Thanks for having me. So we'll have some good discussions today, and we're actually going to hit on a couple really important nutrition topics as we talk about creep feeding as we get into the summer season, and what are the situations where you would or wouldn't want to do that. Also going to talk a little bit about minerals and vitamins and how those might change And do you need to change some of those things in the summer? And finally, we'll wrap up by talking about water, which is a really important nutrient. Before we get into those topics, I I wanted to ask you guys, have you ever seen anything hide better than a calf? I mean, when you look at, especially that first day they're born, how in the world do they hide, the mom hides those calves so well? You can be in an open pasture and you just can't see them. Yeah, and and, you know, you could spend all day looking for them, and you may not find them. Have you ever taken your children to a department store? Because <laughs> I found I've, my kids hide in a clothes rack way better than a calf on a pasture. Does, does your wife put them there? Like the no. mom, like the mom no. will hide the calf and say, "You stay here till I get back." No, no. But that's not a bad strategy. You put them in a clothes rack, and you're like, "I'll be back in a little bit for you." Maybe. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, they don't know how to stay there like the calf does. <laughs> that is true, Philip. That's the that's the big difference. Well, so the problem is, though, is if somebody starts approaching your kid, though. Do you start to run after him like the cow would? <laughs> That's a good point, Tyler. See, I, we've just discovered a new way to, to handle that when you go to the department store. And, I've, and I haven't heard anybody say go to the department store in a long time, Brian. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you, do, you have that online shopping. It's a lot easier. Yeah. They don't hide in the Amazon clothes rack. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, exactly right. So we're we're happy to have Tyler. Tyler serves the northern part of the U.S. and does a lot of work with Hubbard Feeds. And as I mentioned, Alltech is it's Hubbard Feeds, a division of Alltech, and they're help, helping sponsor this uh, podcast today. Tyler, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a nutritionist with our uh, beef team. I cover North and South Dakota and kind of the eastern part of Montana at this this point in time again it's uh, i would say the vast majority of my work is is ranch related business but also uh, also do do some work on uh, with feedlots as well and and uh, backgrounding and finishing operations both kind of across that uh, across that geography excellent well we look forward to your input on some of these topics but before we get to our scientific topics i would like to this is the last podcast so grace jacobson has been our podcast producer for the last several years, or well, a year and a half. And she has done an outstanding job, also has managed our social media here for BCI. And I wanted to have her on and say just a couple words as she's leaving. And first off, Grace, thank you. You you have done a tremendous job on both producing the podcast and putting up with Dr. Larson for a year <laughs> and a half. Nobody's ever made it that long. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> So what's, what's next for Grace? What's next for Grace is I'm moving to Johnson County, but I'll be working in Topeka at the Kansas Beef Council. So Excellent. And what will your job be at the Kansas Beef Council? The official title is Communications Coordinator. So doing very similar things to what I do here, just kind of whatever you guys ask me to, creating content yeah. in the most vague way possible. Well, but you you have done a great job, of, and, and I will commend Grace on a couple of things. One... She has come in and she has ideas and says, hey, we should do social media. We should reach out more. But also 
you have done a great job keeping us on track on the podcast <laughs> on these are the things that we like to do. What's been the most fun experience over the last year and a half? I think from a work standpoint, I really liked making the sustainability webinars that BCI did for uh, NCBA and Cisco. But honestly, I was talking to Lisa this morning and I was like, this is my last podcast. I'm going to miss Tuesday mornings. They're kind of a sacred thing because the 30 minutes to an hour beforehand are really fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So there's there's a lot of times there's a lot of that good conversation. And, and I think one of the things that we have appreciated is you've brought a different skill set and knowledge base that we don't have because your major is ag com, mm -hmm. right? You're not animal science or you're not veterinary medicine. You've done ag com, but you can bring some of those tools to play. And I think there's a good lesson that for any of us, as you're out there, just work on communicating and you can get a little bit better. We hear all the time, tell your story. And some of us, and I, my, myself personally, that's not always something that's easy mm -hmm. or comfortable. But as you start doing it a little bit at a time, I think that's helpful. What other advice would you give to listeners who may want to tell their story better? That's a good question. I would probably just say just do it in yeah. a way. But something that I'm very passionate about is producer-to-consumer communications, just some experiences in my life. I've noticed there's a big gap in knowledge and just find anyone you can. Something that's been very prevalent in my life is... I'm also a minor in journalism, so I spend a lot of time at the actual journalism school here at K-State. So a lot of different people, and one of my professors, he was from India, and he was talking about how his views on farming and what farmers are like. So just being really cognizant of like, okay, those are people's perspectives, and I'm just here to tell the side that I know. So just talking a lot. So got to talk to him about what I do here, because obviously his view on beef is very different being from India than what I know from being from Nebraska. So it was just be truthful, be honest, and be open. It's really easy to run with the circles that you're comfortable with, but just branch out. I think that, I think that is great advice. And talking to consumers or talking to others, talking to people that don't necessarily have the same background, way easier mm -hmm. to talk to each other. So we have appreciated all that you have done for the podcast. Thank you very much. And for the Beef Cattle Institute, as you've gone through the last year and a half, we'll look forward to following you as you go on to Kansas Beef Council and work there as their director of communication. Thank you. So as, as we jump back into, and, and I wanted to talk about one of the things today as we think about, and Tyler, I'm going to start out with you and ask you a question. As, as I think about a commercial cow-calf production operation, often we get into the summer, we may be short on grass. This year, particularly, we're talking about lots of areas of the country that have been really dry. Some have got rain, some haven't. Creep feeding or feeding supplemental feed to calves prior to weaning is a tool that we can sometimes use and it's been shown to increase weaning weights. What are the pros and cons that you see for creep feeding in different ranches? Yeah, I think uh, it, creep feeding might seem like a, like a relatively simple topic. And I think when you bring it up with people, it's either they, they creep feed or they don't creep feed, but I think it's a lot, uh, probably a lot more complicated than that. Uh, you know, like we'd say, it's probably not just a straight line to yes or no. Um, you know, we think about uh, prior to this point in time, early in the year, some people may use creep feeding as a way to deliver an ionophore or something like that if they're battling things like coccidiosis or, or know that they, they can have those kind of challenges. And so so there is a, an opportunity to do that. You know, as we go to grass and, and kind of get ready for summer and, and uh, as we move through the summer and, and prepare for weaning, the decision 
decisions uh, probably probably depend on who you are, how you market, uh, what resources you have available. You mentioned that uh, you know if we consider situations where we might start to be uh, getting a little dry, where forages are more limited, you'll hear producers a lot of times think that creep feeding is a way to maybe help protect the cow, and I don't I don't buy into that nearly as much. I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. But again, uh, creep feeding is something that they are going to prefer to a dried out, uh, low quality forage, and so uh, it is an opportunity to get get more nutrition and, and energy in, in those calves at that, that point in time. You know, I think some of the other things as we as we look at today, just just really the type and kind of cattle we have in a lot of cases, people might be be interested in pursuing, you know, high growth genetics, maybe still uh, uh, raising cattle that have a certain percentage of continental blood in them and those sort of things, where uh, without some additional energy input, they may not be able to achieve the goals that, that they want to achieve in, in terms of uh, weaning weights and those, those sort of things. And so I think there's a lot of factors that play into it, Brad. I think there's a lot of things that uh, really go into that decision. Obviously, there's some geographies where we're having a creep feeder just isn't going to work. You know, I mean, the, the, the pasture's too big. The piece of grass they're on is just too big to get it in the right place where calves are even going to find it and eat it. So there's a lot of limitations. And, and again, I think a lot of reasons people might want to creep feed and more so than just, just, to, just to put pounds on that go into that decision. So, so a couple of things and, and a lot of good information there. I want to break out a couple of things you said. One, you mentioned protect the cow. Philip, what, what is that? What is he talking about there? Well, <clears throat> trying to take some pressure off of her as far as lactation goes and so that she can start to put some body condition back on or not lose as much body condition through the late summer if we've got you know lower quality forage and thing like that. But I agree with Tyler that I don't think it has as big an impact as we would like it to and as a lot of people think it does because if, if you think about the three feed sources that that calf has at that point, milk, creep feed, and forage, which one do you think he likes the best? It's the milk. So he's going to all drink all the milk he can, and then he's going to go to the other two. And so you don't really take a lot of pressure off the cow. Yeah, and one of the things that I like what Tyler said too, that, that there's not really a straight line because there's a lot of things to consider. One is, you know, local availability and price of creep feeds. And so the, the cost of gain has to be considered and the value of gain, which then goes to, I think what Tyler was also saying, some of your marketing endpoints, you know, what are your genetics? How long are you going to own the calves post weaning? What kind of a weight target, timing target do you want? And what kind of gain do you need to get there? So those all Im- impact the decision. The other thing that I found with a lot of the clients I worked with, if we're really dealing with a forage shortage situation, so you're dealing about drought, you know, there's several hard decisions that have to be made. Is there some culling that needs to be done? It might be late bred cows. It might be uh, replacement heifers even, but some culling decisions. But then if you've made those, the other thing that I've had pretty good success doing is weaning the calves and just taking them off of that forage. Now I have to have a place to put them, which that it, that's why this doesn't always work. But if you've got a place to put them, you can wean calves much earlier than we typically do, around 200 days or so. We can wean them a lot earlier and, and really have pretty good health outcomes. And that takes a lot more of the grazing pressure off of that piece of land. So I think there's options. And so there's no easy yes or no, creep, wean the calves, don't creep. Those are all options that are available. Yeah. And I think, and again, I agree with what Tyler said. And I like, you know, he made a couple of points in there that it's not always just about pounds of growth on the calf, right? There are other reasons we think about creep feeding, whether it's taking the pressure off the cow, which, okay, maybe that doesn't do as much as we think. We've talked about supplemental feeding as a way to extend forage resources to, right? That one. And then delivery of 
of medications for, you know, pro- that's probably a short-term deal. Certainly a reasonable strategy if you're dealing with an outbreak on pasture of coccidiosis or something like that. Well, and I, and I think the other point that came up, and you guys have kind of emphasized it, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all, and it may not even be the one-size-fits-every-year. So sometimes we think of decisions that fits my operation, but it doesn't fit yours. But this, the way we've described it, there may be years that that makes sense. And part of my, factoring in on my decision would be availability of feedstuffs and prices of feedstuffs. The problem is when I would like to have more of them, that's when the price goes up. There's something to that supply and demand. Shame Dustin's not here. Yeah, we don't have an ag economist here, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure he would say something about supply and demand. Yeah. And so, uh, so we'll just and say those that kind of we'll, affect prices. <laughs> we'll let we'll let Dustin clean that up. The other, the other so so it could vary for your operation. I would say certainly look into it. The other thing I would encourage, and Bob, you'd be happy, and you you've actually got a spreadsheet on this somewhere. I do. But it, I would encourage you to do the math. What works for your operation for the feed costs? What do you expect for gain? And part of that's going to be dependent on how you're planning on marketing those calves. I, I think that's a, a great discussion. Good points, Tyler. The the other thing that we wanted to visit with you about Tyler and I know it's different in your part of the world than other parts of the country but all of us face the decision of you go you go to get mineral and you have mineral and vitamins and it gets pretty expensive and so there are times that you say well how much of this do I really need and when they're out grazing that nice lush green grass at this time of year you say do I still need to have them on a mineral supplement are they getting what they need from the grass or do I at least need to change it what are your thoughts on supplementation especially Especially as we think about summer. Yeah, I think you, you really brought up three three different things, or, or there's probably three different things to be brought up in regards to that. You, you mentioned trace minerals, you mentioned vitamins, but also, you know, some of the macro minerals are, are impacted certainly by region and geography as well. Just in the geography that I, I cover here from, from the eastern Dakotas to central Montana, the geography is is considerably different. You know, we talk about uh, the antagonists that are that are in the environment from, from things things like water and, and also in some of the forages, things like sulfur and iron and, and molybdenum, those certainly impact the the level of copper that uh, that a producer is interested in, in feeding and, and that uh, along those lines. Also, I, I think that the, the macro mineral requirements can be quite a bit different. I think as you look at the, the United States and, you know, we deal with customers from, you know, from the East Coast to the, to the West Coast, uh, really very different formulations, particularly in terms of calcium and phosphorus that, that we need to look look at uh, in those areas. Uh, I think phosphorus is one that's particularly interesting this year as the cost of phosphorus has really, really climbed and increased. People are, are more interested in making sure that, that that's in tune. The other thing, obviously, is stage of production is going to impact requirements, but a lot of times producers are inconsistent mineral feeders. And so we also need to consider, are we playing catch up? Are we in a good spot? Where are we at in regards to that? We're inconsistent mineral feeders and the cows are inconsistent mineral eaters. What, uh, what is this? A, two ounce per head per day? I've told them. They're they like, won't necessarily do well, one of the, and I'll, since we've got Tyler here and Philip both, but, you know, we've kind of moved past the time we talk about high magnesium mineral. And again, I'm sure there's some geographic areas, but we're probably moving away from our high mag mineral into kind of our summer mineral. But yeah, intake is, is important and important to monitor just how much am I delivering? How much are they eating? And, and I liked your, also your comment, Tyler, about phosphorus, because my opinion is that there's, there's some phosphorus, there's some soils and plants that are 
probably sufficient in phosphorus and don't and cows on that land don't need a lot of supplementation. So there's some opportunity to save money as phosphorus prices go higher. But on the other hand, there's a lot of areas where phosphorus is deficient. And that's one of the things I really don't want to shave pennies, you know, kind of a step over a dollar to save a penny type of a situation. So you got to know your forages and your area. Well, how do I know? Well, a lot of times the good thing is things like soil phosphorus. Now, plant digestibility can affect the phosphorus intake, but my soil doesn't change. So if I'm in an area where soil is and the plants are usually sufficient, then usually they're sufficient. And the only thing I have to worry about is digestibility of the forage. That's why I hate to tell, it's like, well, know your forages. So that's talk to your extension people, talk to the forage agronomist specialist, you know, so get some information about your area as your baseline and then have some year to year fluctuation. So would I see anything, Philip or Brian, would I see anything if I was deficient? So if I wasn't getting enough mineral to them, are there are there signs that I would see? So I guess it depends a lot on which mineral nutrient you're talking about, right? Some of, some of them are very subtle signs that you wouldn't see anything other than maybe a little bit or maybe a lot of reduced performance. And that can show up as not gaining as well, not regaining weight after the breeding season in the cows, or it could be reproductive performance. So it it really depends on what the deficiency is. And we've, we've talked about deficiencies, but the other end of that spectrum is toxicities, right? And so we can get in, we can get in situations where we over supplement. And, and again, the signs of that depend on what the nutrient toxicity is and but it can be range from, yeah, I'm seeing clinical signs of disease to just subtle re- reductions in performance. Yeah. And one thing to think about too, is as we're going through the summer, um, the mineral content of that forage changes as it matures and, and goes through the summer, even if it's grown on the same soil, that as, as it matures, it changes in mineral content. The, the highest mineral content is usually this early spring season, early summer when we've got uh, lush green growing forage, and then it starts to decline in lots of, for lots of minerals. And as Bob said, a lot of those minerals get tied up in, in what we call the plant cell wall, which is the least digestible fraction of the forage. And so even though the content is there, the availability of that mineral may be lower than, than what the content would um, let us to believe. And so we need to think about those kind of things and, and pay attention to mineral intake throughout the summer because it's going to change and vary a lot from, from this time of year to late summer to fall. I think that's a great point. And, and the availability and the consumption, right? They don't like to eat the stemmy stuff, which is where that's going to be tied up. And so even if you tested it, depending on how you test it. But I, I would make sure that you have a plan, then monitor that plan. Bob, your, your point, excellent on monitoring consumption as you go through. Speaking of consumption, water, we've talked a lot about, we talked some about this winter, about maintaining water consumption when it's cold. I want to specifically talk about, it's been really dry. Some of our ponds that we have that cattle water out of have gotten really low are there any concerns about when the pond gets really low access to water any of the issues there yeah i think some of the things you have to really is watch cattle watch their behavior because sometimes access is really changed as the pond levels drop areas where the cattle typically go to get water might not be accessible because either now it's a cliff or it's really muddy or something like that. So uh, just having water available. The other thing that, you know, I've got some friends and relatives that 
are, are dealing with some pretty low pond levels and even having to switch to well water and things like that. And you would think that normally that would not be a problem to switch water sources, but it's something to consider because a lot of times where we live, you know, the surface water is not really a concern for sulfur levels, but, but some wells are high sulfur wells. And so knowing that and knowing as you switch water sources, that could really change cattle consumption of both water and feed and forage and some health effects. So uh, don't change water sources lightly and um, do make sure that access is there just because the, the water is technically there's water in the pond. Can the cattle easily get to it? Well, and the water quality may be different. When you get a lot lower, you don't have that same circulation in the pond. And Tyler, any thoughts from your part of the world to managing those those areas to water? Yeah, you know, we, we dealt with a lot of that that last summer. And I, I think it's really, uh, really good to note that uh, Bob mentioned access there because we are very focused on the quality issue as, as ponds become depleted, like you said, and, and, and those, those sort of issues. But the problem is, is that if that's the only source of water for those cattle, they're still going to try to find a way to go out and, and get it and drink it regardless of the quality, even if it uh, doesn't end well. But what we saw a lot of times, like you said, those those edges of those banks become very muddy as the level gets lower. A lot of issues, a lot of issues with cattle getting stuck in the mud on the way to try to try to get water. And so I think producers need to really be aware not to wait until water gets too low. They need to be looking at alternative sources sooner, not, not later. Don't let the pond get empty or nearly empty. Deal with it quicker than that. Well, because all of us have walked that first few feet into the pond and and you get your boots stuck and if the water has receded beyond that that pond didn't magically dry up on the edges well and and the other thing too so we're talking about surface water and access to surface water but if you switch from surface water to delivered water you know things like making sure you have enough headspace at a tank or making sure they even know what to do with a tank you know and so the the access to water has kind of several points to it, just depending on what the situation is. But yeah, if you're, if you're switching to a waterer or a tank, make sure there's enough volume to, to get, especially as we get into these hot months of the summer. And I, and I have a, a toxicologist just down the hall for me, and he'll point out that when you start hauling water, it's really important that the, that the tank, the hoses, and the pump all be used just for water and not farm chemicals because he would say that you really can't rinse them well enough uh, to be sure that you don't have some toxic problems so again so maybe if you're dealing with a drought year and this is something i don't typically have to worry about but i have to haul water this year the toxicologist would say is you better get some specific water hauling tanks and not use anything that you've used for some ag chemicals don't reuse any and i like tyler i like tyler's point of a lot of times we wait to have our reaction until the pain is too bad, and we probably ought to react before that, right? See these things coming, keep them, keep monitoring, especially in parts of the country that haven't received as much rainfall. Be sure you've got a plan for the summer because we want to have uh, the ability for the cattle not just to have good, high-quality water, but you guys made a great point. They have to have access to it. They have to be able to get to it without tromping through too much mud or causing more problems than good. So we really appreciated having Tyler Melro on with us. He is with Hubbard Feeds, a division of Alltech, a ruminant nutritionist with them. Appreciate getting his insight and appreciated having you listen with us along. If you have questions, topics you'd like us to talk about, you can contact us on Twitter at the underscore BCI, or you can shoot us an email at bci at ksu.edu. Mm-hmm.